Thank you for joining us. For your encouragement, we bring to you this biblical sermon from Dr. Charlie Dates, preached at the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. We hope that it leaves you refreshed and inspired. If you're ever in Chicago on a Sunday, we'd love to have you in worship with us. Join now. This message already in progress. When you got uh, Mark chapter 12, say, I got it. We're going down to verse 41, verses 41 through verse, this is 44. This is how the Bible reads, beginning at verse 41 of Mark chapter 12. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned. All she owned. All she owned. And all she had to live on. You see that in verse 42, a poor widow. Why? poor widow came and put in how many small copper coins? How many church? Two small copper coins. I want to reach back uh, to a hero, a theologian, a prognosticator of the gospel of yesteryear for this sermon title today. I want to talk from the thought, these last two dollars. Johnny Taylor. Lindsay, Pastor Parson, and Johnny Taylor are buddies. So you should know that. You got to hear that song. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Amen. Will you bow in a word of prayer with me, please? Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and your kindness. Now I pray that you would grant me clarity of mind, concision of speech, and conviction of heart that I may tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. A lady at the casino, she spent all her money jaded by the infidelity of a lover. She went to pursue him at the place where he hung out at only to be taken, to be raptured by the slot machines, the roulette tables. And she spent all her money to the point where she had to ask for $2. One for bus fare, the other for the jukebox. Come on in here, church. She wasn't going to lose those last $2. The language of these last $2 gripped me this summer while I was away praying and thinking about our fall faith-building series. I'm taken by this poor, deflated woman at the casino. 
Hers was a story of desperation. She was familiar with meager means and disappointment from those who should have provided for and cared for her. You know, history is full of women, by the way, who took the little that they had and risked it on a venture, not sure how it would turn out. Time does not permit me to tell the stories of Oprah and Sheila Johnson and Madam C.J. Walker and others who took the little that they had and built something that changed the world. But no woman in all of history is more striking for the risk that they took than this woman in Mark 12. She is a poor, deflated, widow woman. She is not at the casino. She at church. Johnny Taylor observed a woman and to some extent critiqued a woman who handled her last $2 the way that she did. But Jesus observes a woman at the temple in Mark chapter 12 and commends her for what she did with her last two mites. The lady at the casino lost all her money, but the lady at the church deposited all her money and won all of her Savior's attention. No more poignant and pointed words could grip our church or fit our congregation today than these words of Jesus. Because really, for where we are as a church and as a community of followers, the action of Jesus is taking place in our church today, but the action of this widow is not. I sadly report to you today that somebody at Progressive, somebody's at Progressive, is robbing God. No, I don't mean the people who count the offering. I mean the people who give it. Uh, for all of the momentum at our church, and we're grateful for it, nearly half of you don't give anything on an average Sunday. Oh, stay with me, church. Don't be mad. Just go with me here. And when I consider what's at stake in your life, by not giving a dime to God, I thought it only pastoral malpractice not to raise this subject matter for your own consideration. You see, because after all, it's not the IRS who's watching. It's not the contribution statement that you hand over to your accountant at the top of next year that matters. But this text says to us that there is a higher, heavier, holier eye watching the treasury at the church. Look with me now at these words, Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 41, and he sat down over against, opposite the treasury, and began observing, watching how people were putting money into the treasury. Did y'all read that right there? Yes. No, you didn't, because you ain't saying nothing back to me. This text says that we live under the very gaze of God when we give, or lack thereof. The word observe in the original Greek New Testament is the word from which we get our word theater. In other words, this word means that Jesus was much like you pay attention at a theater. He was gazing. 
at what happens at the temple. Now, this is striking to me because last week we looked at Jesus' last recorded miracle by Mark, uh, the gospel writer. And today we look at the last public teaching of Jesus before he goes to die as recorded by Mark. Jesus is on his way to destiny and he stops to go to church. And he doesn't just go to any church. If you read the actual context of the Gospel of Mark, right before this commendation at the end of chapter 12, Jesus issues a condemnation. He is angry with the scribes and the Pharisees for how they are treating widows. He is frustrated with the Sadducees who are trying to prod at him about his teaching. He, he is levying some indictments against the temple it is a corrupted temple and yet he still goes to a corrupted temple on his way to destiny I only bring it up for those of you waiting on a perfect church before you join church those of you those of you saying everybody at church got it all twisted they are guilty of malfeasance they are not Handling the church right, isn't it striking to you and to me that Jesus still frequented a corrupted temple? Let me just say, by the way, if you find a perfect church, don't join it. Because if you do, you'll only mess it up. But for everybody watching online who got a problem with the preacher, Everybody paying attention who got a problem with the church and you just can't find one that fits you. Jesus went to one even though it was not perfect. And what did he do when he got there? The Bible says that after teaching and talking, he sat opposite the treasury and he observed what was going on. Let me linger, if I can, for just a moment to say, isn't it amazing that the temple had a treasury? Oh, yeah, I know it. Everybody always arguing. The preacher always talking about money. That ain't what happened at this church. That's the God's honest truth. I do not always. In fact, I don't ask for half as much as it costs to actually run the church. But that's striking because the temple needed a treasury to run. I mean, think about it. How else were the needs of the temple going to get met? People go, God is almighty. He's going to just let money fall out the sky and meet the needs of the church. Is that how y'all think it work around here? Y'all think comment? Go, oh, Jesus is taking care of everything over there. No, it's going to be cold in a few months. And when you come in here, you're going to want them boilers downstairs to fire off and, and to get to working. Or all the people we feed, all of the mission we do, or even the seats you sit on. You think that Mark, the gospel writer, is somewhere performing magic tricks to make it all work? No, friends, listen. The temple has always had a treasury because where there is a temple, there is a need. And where there is a need, God supplies And where God supplies, he does it through his people in miraculous ways. We do not rail against the fact that there is a treasury here. In fact, in fact, it's striking that Jesus would even address this subject 
to some until you come to appreciate that Jesus talked about you and your material possessions more than he talked about any other subject save love in all of the recorded scriptures. That means that there is something about your possession of money. Oh, no, let me say it better. About money's possession of you that matters to God. Here Jesus is sitting opposite over against the treasury. Let me suggest to you that when you note the physical geographical location of Jesus in the text, where he sits and where he sees from in the unfolding of the narrative, that there is something not merely physical about this text, but there is something cosmic, if not theologically authoritative about this text. Jesus sat watching how people gave. Oh, today Jesus is going to watch how you give too. No, notice now, he doesn't just highlight what people give. He highlights how people give. That means your attitude is important as you give today. You know, we often have said, and you'll hear Pastor Jamal say from time to time, that God don't want your mad money, but because God does love a cheerful giver. We want your heart to be right when you give to God. We don't want you giving out of frustration, out of compulsion, or out of anger. Mad that you're giving to God. Angry that you're putting that money in that container. Mean mugging God as you hit the buttons on GiveLify. God loves a cheerful giver, but you upset while you putting it in there. Here it is. God then gave me all the strength I had to go to work all week, but I got to give him something. Here it is. He didn't bless me all those years, and I got enough in my retirement. Here it is that I am getting money off of rent, off of buildings that I don't even know how I own, but I got to give to God. Mean mugging God. The God who woke you up without charging you. The God who put food on your table, energy in your body without requiring anything from you first. The God who saved your soul and we mad. We tell y'all God don't want your mad money, but the church will take it. We absolutely will. We absolutely will. The, the trouble is you don't get no credit for it in heaven because because there is to be a hilarity, a joyfulness, a beaming, gleaming heart that gives when it's time to come to God's house. I'm teaching my kids this, everybody that got this problem, I'm trying to tell Charlie and Claire what my mama told me, Lindsay and Larry, you don't come into God's presence empty-handed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, help me, God. They ain't going to say nothing to me. Just if I could hear heaven, say an amen while I preach. That's all I need. Because I'm preaching to you today anyway, whether you want to hear this or not. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you what, what the scripture says. Watch this. The very first book of the Bible, and the very first altar that is set up, and the very first encounter of worship, the very first people give. Giving has always been the biblical paradigm for, give, for worship. And some of us, we give to everything else, the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, the... I'm trying not to say the stuff that comes in my mind. I need, I need help. 
the, to the Bears charitable program. You know what I'm saying? You, you give to the White Sox and the Cubs, or you do that, you know, when you check out, they go, do you want to round your gift up to go to Ronald McDonald's charity? Sure, I'll give you another 56 cent to give to Ronald McDonald's. But when you come to God, and, and the question is asked, are you going to give? No. And I raise it to say to you today, and I'm halfway through with my sermon, almost. I raise it to say to you today, whose attention do you really want? <laughs> that, that sometimes in church, and I'm turning the corner here, we think that 20% of the people who got money are supposed to handle the church, and the rest of us just can tip when we come. And, and the challenge is, Whose attention do you really want? Do you, do you want to be a big giver to get big attention from people? Or do you want to take the little you have and give it in a way that Jesus calls it big and get heaven's attention? God's attention is not so much fastened on the per person we learn in this text who gives from their surplus as he is the person who sacrifices for their kingdom, for his kingdom's need. He's watching how people are putting money into the treasury. Now watch this contrast. Many rich people were putting in large sums, the text says. The word in the original language says that there were multiple rich people who were giving. Some of them were scribes. Do you know that when people gave in this time, even some of the scribes and Pharisees, they would hire trumpeters to go before them as they came to the temple to give? Could you imagine that? You got a whole band coming before you. And they blowing horns and they making noise and you come and you're going to deposit your gift in. And, and you know what that does? That gets everybody else's attention so that they know that you're taking care of God's business. There were 13 receptacles at the old temple for giving. Jesus is in the court of women here. There are four receptacles at this point. And these four were for the free will offering. After the obligatory offering to maintain the temple, these four were now coming, and they were called shofars. They were set, they were set like horns, big, round, cylindrical, uh, metallic pieces. This is probably also how you can hear the offering that the woman gives. In comparison to the scribes and the Pharisees coming, blowing trumpets, now this woman's little offering is going to blow its own trumpet. Many were giving, watch me now, but one poor widow came and dropped her two coins in this cylindrical piece, and you can hear them swirling as they go down into the container. I'm about to, help me, Lord God, I'm about to come for you. Now watch this. Because there are a lot of things that do not individuate you at church. There are many things that we cannot tell are genuine at church. When we all stand up to sing, I can't tell your voice from anybody else's voice. When we're all standing up clapping, I can't tell you clapping from anybody else clapping. When we're all reading the prayer, I can't tell your praying voice from anybody else's praying voice because it's hard to individuate when you get a collective group of people together. And when you give, if it were not for an envelope system, nobody would be able to tell which gift is yours versus which is somebody else's. 
but the Bible says that there were many who were doing it and yet he noticed the one. So when you come to sing in church, God can tell your voice from his voice over there. When you come to pray, God can tell your prayer from her prayer over there. God is able to discern. Jesus here is making a distinction in discernment. And what we learn is that you cannot fake devotion to God. You can pretend and sing all day. You can fool all of us. We all think you saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. You could come every week and we could go, oh, we know they about to go to heaven right there because they be sitting in that same seat every Sunday. You could stand up and pray. Oh, you could pray like the deacons used to pray until all of the angels come down and start jumping around. You could fake all of us out, but what you cannot fake I said, what you cannot think is what you give to God. Now, I'm going to tell you what this means now. You cannot fake that checkbook. I know some of y'all don't write checks. Before, this is a multi-generational church. There's this thing called checks. It's called an order for the bank to pay money. It's a little slip of paper. Sometimes you order them in duplicates, and you, it says pay to the order of. You write a name, and then there's a number right there. And then you spell out your piece, and you sign your name. All right, are y'all with me? There's a thing called a checkbook. That's what I mean when I refer to checkbooks. Now, for those of you who ain't never owned a checkbook, uh, there's this thing called cash. And, and in America, it's like green. I'm going to show it to you. I know you ain't never seen it before, okay? All right? This is a $5 bill. Sometimes it's the only presidents that come to church are Lincoln and Washington. So you see this? It, this is called cash, all right? Some of y'all ain't never, you ain't never had cash. You ain't never had cash. But because you were raised on something called a car. It's so impersonal. It's so plastic. That's why you can use it and not feel nothing. It, when you give this away, it's gone. And you go, mm, nah, I ain't going to do that. But when you swipe this, it go right back in your pocket, and you feel like it ain't gone. to get my props back together and finish my sermon. <clears throat> Here it is now. They are, they are giving. And Jesus moves from observing to commending or to making an assessment. This woman gave her last two dollars. The Greek language for you scholars in here, Lepta, you know what that is. These two small copper coins, which together equaled one, one twenty-eighth of a denarii. It was the equivalent of a penny. It, it didn't even register really on the Roman market. And she gives her last two dollars while the rich people were giving a lot. And Jesus pulls his disciples to himself and says, I'm saying to y'all, that this woman put more in the treasury than all of those other big ballers and shot callers. Because she gave from her poverty, they gave from their surplus. 
question is never how much will you give? The question is always how much will you have left? Let me say it again. The question is never how much will you give? The question always is how much will I keep for myself? Woo, y'all ain't talking back to me in here on this one. In other words, Jesus is observing how people give because your giving communicates the disposition of your heart to God. It is the clearest indication as to whether or not God has a hold of your heart. And if God does not have a hold of your heart, you will be miserly, stingy, and mean. Now, I want to get to this. As quickly as I can, and I'm going to be out of your way, progressive. If you have a lot, or if you have a little, the New Testament perspective on giving always finds itself in the language of sacrifice. Sacrifice. She gave all she had, all she owned, all she had to live on. And you would look at that and you would go, Jesus, stop her. Don't let her do that. She ain't got no husband. We, we don't know if she has any children. As a widow in this context, she's the most vulnerable of all people in the world. She's susceptible to being violated and manipulated physically and emotionally and spiritually. Stop her, Jesus. Tell her she shouldn't be giving that to the church. Church is going to be all right. Temple going to be all right. She needs to keep that. Isn't it striking, y'all, that Jesus doesn't stop this woman from giving her last two copper coins? Why? Maybe it's because Jesus believed that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Maybe it is because Jesus understood what what the language of the sex gets at. She was giving her life to God. She was entrusting everything she had to him. And he knew that he could not get in the way of her love language to God. He had to let her give everything she had. And once she did it, although we don't have her name, her story is on record for the rest of humanity that her gift changed the world. I wonder if we had to get an epitaph based upon your giving, what would it say about you? Oh, Charlie gave because he was a pastor and he had to. He didn't want nobody to look at his giving record and feel like he was preaching something he didn't do. Or, Or Charlie gave just enough to be respectful. Or Charlie gave in a way that changed Progressive and Chicago. Charlie sacrificed everything he had so that God could get the glory and the church could reap the benefit. Put your name in my story. I could call all of your names right now, but but what is it that's going to be left on record for your giving, or will you just do the same $25 every Sunday? that you usually do. No, friends, half-hearted gifts never change the world. 
only gifts that involve somebody's whole life. His name is M.K. Curry. Name doesn't ring a bell to some of you. M.K. Curry changed America. Although you don't know his name, you do know the names of James Meeks and Ralph West and Jeffrey Johnson and Stephen Thurston and E.K. Bailey. You, you know those names because all of those are pastors who graduated from Bishop College. M.K. Curry presidented Bishop College, started in Marshall, Texas, went on to Dallas, Texas, and literally raised a generation of preachers and teachers that shifted black America as we know it. The graduates of Bishop have pastored some of the largest and most influential churches in our big cities, from Chicago to L.A. to Houston to Dallas to Indianapolis to New York to Oklahoma City, you name it. They all came out of here and lit literally changed America. And, and M.K. Curry gave his whole life to building Bishop College because he saw a future for black Americans that would be shaped by the public school classroom and by the local church. And when Bishop closed, he died. There was nothing wrong with him. He died. And I asked his brother, Dr. L.K. Curry, when did your brother die? He died when Bishop died. Why did he die? And he sat back in that car, and he said softly as only Dr. L.K. Curry can, he died from a broken heart. You don't know his name, but thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people have come to Christ because of his work. You don't know his name, but, but hundreds of churches have been built around the nation because of his work. He left his life in Bishop. And what I got to ask y'all is, where are you leaving your life? Who's going to be able to point back to you or to me and say, man, the world has changed because of what they gave? I think the reason Jesus is attracted to this woman because he about to do the same thing she did. Yeah. I think he looks at her and he says, she gave all she had. She entrusted herself to God the Father. She, she expected him to meet her needs. He said, I can relate to that. Because in a few days, I'm about to climb a hill that I don't deserve to climb. I, I'm about to give all that I have. I, I'm going to entrust everything I have to the Father. I can identify with somebody who gives all because I'm about to give all. Now, is there one Christian in the house today who's moved by what I just said? That when it came time to purchase your salvation, Jesus didn't tip give a piece of himself to pay for your sin? Oh, but I like the way the old hymn writer said it. Jesus paid it. Oh. He gave everything he got. Now, for those of you still sitting in there looking at me with that tone of voice, your arms folded, and you wondering what I'm getting at, I'm telling you what I'm getting at. You would not be saved if heaven didn't believe in what heaven is asking for you to do. Is there anybody here
that's not so stony of heart that you can appreciate that God so loved the world that he and he didn't give one of his sons he gave his only son me and my sermon on a lighter note I'm done the chicken and the hog were having a conversation one morning they were talking about the menu for breakfast. And on the menu that day was bacon and eggs. And the hog had a problem with the chicken because they both were donating to put breakfast on the table. Chicken said, I'm glad to be here today to lay these eggs that will be scrambled on the table. They're going to use a little butter. They're going to mix in some spinach. For some of y'all, they're just going to take the whites, the egg whites, and they're going to put some mushrooms in it. They're going to flavor it up. And I will have given so that my master could eat real good. The hog said, well, Mr. Chicken, I never liked you in the first place. <laughs> but it's concreted now. You're making a donation to this breakfast. But in order to get the bacon, I got to die. I'm making the sacrifice. So I'm going to go lay down my life so that my master can have some bacon. It's cute. It's funny. But it's about to happen when I walk out of this door. Some of y'all are going to make a donation. The rest of y'all are going to sacrifice. I don't know which one you are, but I hope you get it right. Stand up on your feet. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another uplifting and inspiring message by Dr. Charlie Dates, Senior Pastor of the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. For more information about our church, visit ProgressiveChicago.org. Progress is yours through the gospel of Jesus Christ.